Welcome to the One Moment Longer podcast presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and this was a delightful conversation with an incredible athlete and even a more remarkable human being, Jesse Diggins. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. Jesse Diggins. This is the One Moment Longer podcast with Greg Bennett. Any questions? All right. Today I am joined by one of the world's all time greatest cross country skiers, an American legend who embodies the spirit of this show and is the definition of the show's mantra success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. She's a three time Olympic medalist with a gold, silver, and bronze, a six time world championship medalist with two gold, two silver and two bronze, and the first American to win the overall cross-country World Cup title. She has consistently shown that pushing through one moment longer can lead to greatness, breaking barriers, and making history in the sport. Hailing from Minnesota, she has inspired a generation of athletes and advocated for important causes like mental health and environmental conservation. Her must-read book, Brave Enough, details her incredible journey, sharing not only her athletic accomplishments, but also her personal struggles with bulimia, giving readers a glimpse into the resilience and strength it took for her to endure and reach the pinnacle of her sport. Most recently, she won the World Championships in Slovenia, becoming the first ever American to win an individual World Championship gold in cross-country skiing. Yet another testament to her enduring spirit. It's an honour and a privilege to have her join me today. So welcome and thanks for joining me on the One Moment Longer podcast, Jesse Diggins. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. My goodness, that was an endurance intro. You've been busy. I'm exhausted. Because I'm blushing over here. My goodness. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I've got to tell you, I, I, I do homework, you know, for everybody that comes on the show. And and this one was just so fantastic. I um. Honestly, this morning I woke up at about, you know, I, I'm an early riser, but I woke up about 2.30 and I, I started watching videos and YouTube and everything. And I went off to the gym a couple of hours later and I just smashed the treadmill after watching your, you know, your 2018 gold medal performance was absolutely amazing. So it's been a lot of fun doing homework for this show. Oh, wow. Well, I'm, uh, I'm honored. <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't really know what to say to no, that. No, I'll, 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 we'll keep moving. But where are you at, where are you at the moment? Where are you currently living? Because I've heard you quoted saying you don't live anywhere, really. You're just always everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, the, I mean, and that's so true. I figured out that this spring, it was my first time sleeping in the same bed for three weeks since last August, um, wow. which is quite the streak of bouncing around. Wow. But uh, right now I am in South Boston or Southie, mm. the locals call it. Um, my husband, Wade, and I have a condo here, a um, little place not too far from the beach, not too far from downtown where he works. Um, and so it's just like, it's just been an awesome 
like juxtaposition from, you know, where I trained in Stratton, Vermont with our club, where you're just, you're out and you're in up on Stratton mountain and it's so peaceful and quiet and you've got the woods surrounding you. And then you get this chunk of time in the spring where you're in the city and you're going out to dinner, like going for runs along the beach. Like it's a very different um, feeling, a very different kind of living, mm, but yeah. I, I love having a little taste of it. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, but Boston's, I go up to Boston every two to three weeks. That's where our team are at any question. And honestly, just running along the Charles River and and, and going up, because I live in, in Florida. And so to go up there and run and not feel like I'm dying and just, it's so beautiful. Like you said, the bars and the restaurants, it's, it's nice to break it up. How much more time do you have there before you get back into work? Are you on a break, I guess? Yeah. So our season ended on March 27th. It was a little bit longer season this year. Um, we started, we started racing around Thanksgiving weekend and then we just ended at the end of March. And then, um, and by then I was like, I was, pretty ready yeah. to come home yeah. and I was yeah. really, really missing weight and missing being home. So, um, I came back and had a nice break. I gave myself a week and a half of totally being off, like nothing, no training, <laughs> no getting the heart rate up, nothing beyond walking. One and a half weeks. That's what you get. That's nice. Only yeah. one and a half weeks. I mean, I could have taken longer, but after yeah. that, I started to feel the itch of yeah. like, wow, yeah. I really want to go out and, um, I want to like try to learn how to play tennis and, you know, I want to go for a jog or I want to go do this or go do that. And so then I allowed myself to get back into it, but it felt really nice to have a little bit of a break. And then pretty soon here, I'm going to be hitting the road again. Um, We got our first US ski team training camp of the season coming up, which is so cool because you have all these young athletes who are new to the team. Mm. So you get a chance to meet your teammates and get on snow again. We always go out to Bend, Oregon, because they preserve a ton of snow up at Mount Bachelor from a great season. You know, they just they keep the snow up there so much longer. Um, so it's a really awesome training camp and gonna go up there and do a ton of skiing. Wow. And, and what you said your husband, wait, he doesn't travel with you or he, does he join you for little bits? Or are you on yeah, your we're like little bits. I wish, uh, we both wish yeah. <laughs> that he could be, you know, on the road more, but, um, his, he works in finance and it's pretty demanding of his time. And so he'll, you know, we'll kind of pick and choose when he can come over to Europe and, mm. you know, this last season he came over for the end of the tour to ski and got to, be there with the coach bib on and holding mm. square poles up on the side of the mountain for the final climb, which was a super iconic race that he's seen me do on TV a number of times. And it was so cool for him to be there in person. So, um, yeah. And then in the summer we bounced back between, uh, Stratton and Boston. Nice. Yeah. It's not easy when you, um, when you got loved ones and you gotta, you gotta hit the road for, for months at a time, you know, and do you find that takes its toll. I mean, how do you manage that? I guess now with FaceTime and being able to see each other for little bits, it's okay. But how do, is it just about, okay, just, this is my time. I got to just put my head down. How do you manage it? Yeah. You know, I think about that a lot, you know, before we had video calling, mm. this was so tough. I mean, I distinctly remember my first trip to world juniors. I had a calling card and I went to the basement of our hotel in France to to use the like phone in the basement and <laughs> dial it up and do this whole process so I could call my parents and say, "Hey, I made it! Like I'm alive. Yeah. Um, I'm doing I'm doing great." And I remember like that was really challenging. And I uh, I have so much respect for athletes who 
did this before you had the ability to be like, I'm just going to call you right now. And I get to see your face and, you know, we get to have this, you know, virtual face to face interaction because that has been huge for us in our relationship, being able to carve out this time every day where we just talk and Mm. we connect and Mm. we talk about our day and what's going on in the world. And he makes me laugh so much. And, um, it is honestly really tough being gone. I think that's the the hardest thing about my job, mm-hmm. honestly. Like, yeah, racing's hard. Yeah, training's hard, but not really. Um, what's hard is being away from Wade, being away from family, friends, you know, all my loved ones. But, you know, I love that I feel so, so supported mm-hmm. um, by Wade, by my parents, by his family, his parents. Like, first of all, they see that I love what I do and that, you know, this is the kind of the prime years of my career and they're happy for me because of that. But even more importantly, they see that, okay, you know, doing this gives you this platform to work with Protect Our Winners and talk about climate change, you know, to support the mission of Share Winter and getting kids on snow for the first time to learn a sport. And, you know, this helps you work with the Emily program and encourage people to, you know, prioritize mental health uh, alongside their physical health. And they, you know, they're so supportive of all the work that I can do. And I can do this work for the rest of my life. And I plan to do it for the rest of my life. Mm. But, you know, doing it with the platform that Racing Internationally gives me, that message goes so much further Mm -hmm. than it would without ski racing, right? So I kind of feel like, you know, this is such an opportunity in this window of time when I get to be on podcasts like this and when I get to, you know, when the Olympics rolls around and suddenly, you know, everyone in the U S is so focused on the winter Olympics. I'm like, Ooh, this is a great time to get these messages yeah, out there yeah. because people are really listening, you know, like this is my chance to try to impact someone's life in a positive way. So I feel like skiing is really challenging in that, you know, you're, you're, you have to be away um, because most of our world cups are, you know, in Europe, but there's so many other things that it brings that we've kind of decided, okay, for the short term, you know, this is, this is definitely something that we want to keep in our lives. And I do say our lives because it impacts Wade so much, but you know, ski racing isn't forever. There's a lifespan to this career for sure. I hear it in your voice and the way you speak. And it's like when you find somebody living their life with purpose, right? There's, at, at the end of the day, purpose is everything. Once your pas- passion collides with your strengths and you can go all in on something, it's, it's like, and you find that purpose, it's like, wow, this is a moment that you, you've, just got to, you've just got to grab and hold on to. Um, and in sport, you know, all of us that were professional athletes or whatever, we know there's a time, limit. there's going to be a time we just happen to slow down or, or our passion just starts to leave us, right? It's like, oh, I don't want to get up and do this or I don't want to travel or I don't like to suffer anymore. And you'll have that, um, I, I call it the Forrest Gump mo- moment. Do you know the movie Forrest Gump? Yeah, when he just stops running. Exactly. He's running around America and across America backwards and forth and then he just one day he just goes, I think I'm done now, right? And, you know, and, and for me that's how I retired. It was kind of like I was 44, the bucket was empty and I'm like, I don't want to suffer anymore. The suffer- I, I've embraced and loved the suffering and now it's like, I don't want it. And I was in Beijing. My wife was racing in Colorado and I called her. I'm like, I'm done now. 
if you can be lucky enough to choose when you stop and then go, okay, I, I live with purpose now, I've got to find, you know, and you'll have your purpose, you know, like you said, with your projects that you've already got going. And I think that's fantastic that you, you've got those in place, which is absolutely fantastic. But I want to ask you, you just won the world championships. I got to, how was that? How, how, how are you feeling? Is it, have you come down from that, the first ever American to win a, a gold medal, the world championship, individual gold medal of the world championships? Oh, man. You know, it's a funny question because my natural tendency is to just focus on the next race and prepare <laughs> because I get, I don't know if it's like fear that I'll be complacent or that it will rub it in in the face of a teammate who didn't have a good day, you know, like you don't mm. want to be that asshole who's like, me, me, me. <laughs> um, and sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Oh, that was awesome. <laughs> <edit> that out. <laughs> especially at world championships, the, the races are packed in so closely together, right? Like it's almost every other day. And so it's like, okay, I got to be ready for the team relay. Like that was the next thing. And I did this at the 2018 Olympics. You know, it's funny because, um, we, we won the, the race, Keegan and I, we won the team sprint. And right away, I was just like, oh, I got to get dry clothes. I got to recover. And I think, I can't remember if it was, I'm sure it was Wade and my mom and dad, who were all of them just like, hang on, you just won the Olympics. <laughs> you're going to be fine for the next race. You know what to do. It's all automatic. You know, you're going to recover. Just breathe, <laughs> enjoy mm. this. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I should enjoy this. Mm. And so I, I've also, I've tried really hard to allow myself to also enjoy it, you know, in a courteous way, not rubbing it into anyone else, but I don't want to just blow through that moment and not take the time to celebrate it, particularly with, you know, the coaches, the wax technicians, the staff, the volunteers who are over there working their faces off to give us this opportunity to perform at our best. And I don't want to not take the time. So this year it was so fun. Like we, I mean, I cried like at least 12 times that day um, when, I, when I won the gold. And um, I mean, I like I literally like sobbed like a baby while like hugging my longtime it. coach and wax tech, Jason Cork, because he's worked with me since I was like 17 years old. Wow. Um, so it was just like super emotional. Um, and then I cried on TV at multiple different interviews, which I hate doing. I hate crying on TV. Um, so it's not it's not on purpose. <laughs> it was very genuine. And then the coolest thing was I went to the wax truck and we had this awesome group hug, at which point I cried again. And just celebrating with them and seeing the traditions that they do in the truck. Because honestly, usually by the time they're doing that, we're gone. We're home because we've got to mm. get on the massage table for a flush. We've got to go for a jog. We've got to, you know, I have this whole like post-race debrief report that I fill out with my sports psychologist. You know, it's like, bam, 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 you're doing the next thing. Mm. And that day I stayed in the truck and I saw them do their shot of Jägermeister I, or maybe it's Akavit. It's gross, whatever it is. <laughs> And, uh, and they all do a shot together. And then there's this one song they play oh. and they blast it. And so like later when the Finns had a great day and they got a relay medal, they were blasting their song, you know, like all yeah. the trucks will like blast the song ah. when they, when they went, or maybe not all of them, but certain trucks from certain nations will, um, have like 
these rituals that they do. And then the Solomon guys, because I'm a Solomon skier, they had they borrowed from the Italians one of those sound machines with a button that goes. Bow, bow, bow. And they were like, <laughs> they were like just blasting music out the window. It was just this super cool atmosphere of celebration and like, wow, we did this thing that we've been working towards for literally generations, you know, like since the start of U.S. cross-country skiing, we've been building up towards this. And so it wasn't lost on me that like this really meant so much, not just to me, but to all the people who have paved this path for me. And I'm so grateful. And that's probably what brought me to tears the 12th time. Um, So (laughs) it was just super cool. And I honestly, I'm still enjoying it because it's funny. I have this weird... I don't know what the word for it is, but this thing where I don't like display my Olympic medals. Um, they're in a, a sack. Mm. <laughs> um, they're like wrapped in little hats. And, you know, I currently have them all packed up to to take to Minnesota for some talks I'm going to do later and get to, you know, try to inspire people with them. But I don't look at them. And it's because every day I want to earn the right to be proud of who I am and what I did that day. And it's like ski racing is awesome. It's super fun. Of course you want to win, but winning doesn't give you like a hall pass for the rest of your life. It's not like, yeah, I'm a great person forever. Don't, don't you wish so? You know, like I it's not that. like you have to go out and be a good person and do something good every day. So that at least that's what I tell myself. So that when I fall asleep, I'm like, Hey, I, I did this thing today. You know, like maybe I, you know, I did some brainstorming with the Protect Our Winners team and I tried to, you know, figure out how I can be more effective there. You know, maybe I called up my senator and said, I really want you to support climate advocacy in your next, uh, the next time you get a vote. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and, you know, like I, I want to do something every day where mm. I feel really proud of what I did. Um, and it may be connected to athletics, but it's maybe potentially more meaningful if it's not. Because that's mm. something I can do every day. You don't get a chance to mm. win the world championships every day, but you do get a chance to like go out and like give someone a genuine compliment and light up their day. And like kindness is free, you know. So well said. I don't know. Mm. That's just the way I think about it. But I also don't want to not let myself celebrate a lifetime milestone either. I don't want to swing too far the other direction. So no. that's what I'm trying to well, well said. Well said. I loved everything about that. And I think I've had numerous guests on the show, you know, whether they be world or Olympic champions and often their biggest regrets when I say, you know, what, what some of your regrets? It's like, yeah, I didn't celebrate that moment. I moved to the next one because it's, it's in a, an athlete's DNA. Like you said, you have your system, you have your process, you you know what comes next and you live by systems and processes, right? And it's like, and the next goal and where am I going? And sometimes you just need somebody to put you in your place and say, hey, just sit and let this sink in just for a moment, you know, and, and embrace it with everybody around you. And and I've had so many guests that say, yeah, I missed, you know, I got five world titles, but I didn't celebrate the first four. And finally I celebrated the fifth, but I kind of wish I'd done da, da, la la. And I'm like, yeah, that's something, yeah. <laughs> that's something you learn through age and wisdom. Um, and by the way, I've cried like a baby apparently on TV. I remember qualifying for an Olympics and it, it just had been so stressful to get there. And and they shoved a camera in my face right as I crossed the finishing line, which wasn't fair. I was, I was exhausted. <laughs> I was absolutely exhausted. And then the the front page of the newspapers are like, and Bennett cried like a baby. I was like, well, that's that was a bit harsh. 
<laughs> no, honestly, I, I always get like, I've tried sometimes to keep one last little wall up around myself to protect mm-hmm. myself because mm-hmm. you have no control over what gets shown and what pictures are taken of you and what someone else decides to say about you. Right. But at the same time, people are smart and they can make their own conclusions when they see an interview or story, you know, they can, they can usually see like, here's what I think happened and what I think is going on here. And the more genuine I have allowed myself to be, like, or I guess not genuine, vulnerable, I guess is the word because it's always genuine, but how much of myself am I going to share with people? And over the years, I've just leaned into sharing more and more because I found that in that vulnerability, in that moment where you're just so relieved Mm. and it's been Mm. so hard and Mm -hmm. you were just like, done. You know, like I made it, I did this thing that was so freaking hard. It took so much sacrifice and so much blood, sweat, and tears. And you let yourself cry and people can relate to that because everyone has something in their life that was so hard and, you know, making it to the end of it was just such a relief. And I think there's something so human and universal about that. So I think it's always hard when you're like, well, maybe I wouldn't have chosen for a camera to be in my face at this moment. But at the same time, showing that is, I think, really, really cool because more men need to see that it's okay to cry and have emotions and to feel passionately about anything. You know, I think that's, I think that's so awesome. I've got so much I want to dive into here with you. But before I do, I, I, I want to just recognize you and how amazing you've been on the any question platform you have 140 answers already on there and just want to quickly ask you what's that experience been like for you i mean i think it's really cool that anyone can have a chance to ask me a question in a very i guess the word i'm searching for is a very personal way Mm. you know like it's it's a video it's just me talking i'm not staged i haven't like rehearse the answer a bunch of times. It's just my genuine, here's what I think about this. You know, here's how I feel about X, Y, Z. Here's, mm. here's my answer to your question. And I'm not going to overthink it or whatever. It's just very genuine. And so you're going to get a very genuine uh, response and connection. And I think that's so cool because a lot of the times people might have similar questions, you know, like, what do you think about this mode of training or what's your recommendation for someone skiing for the first time or you know, what's the best way to get the glitter on your cheeks to stick on race day? You know, like, these are, these are very common questions. And I feel like, uh, it's really cool to be able to send that out on the platform and then multiple people can see it and think, Oh, I didn't, I hadn't even thought to ask that. But now that I see that, well, I am, I do really want to learn, you know, this or that. And, and not just from me, but from, all these experts in so many different fields and sports and strength, conditioning, nutrition, all these different things. So I think that has been a really cool resource. Um, and honestly also like a source of inspiration. Um, and at the end of the day, I think what it also does, I don't know if this was the intent, but it just humanizes people. And you Mm. see that, you know, Caleb Dressel, he's, he's a human. 
mm. you know, and, and he, you know, has thoughts and opinions and all, all different ideas about training and stuff, just like anybody else. And I think it really allows you to kind of make that connection with people who are experts in their field. But at the end of the day, they're just people too. Mm-hmm. I love it. And I think for people that want to go check out you know, your answers, go check it out. It's your responses. I was telling you before the show have been some of the most inspiring and authentic and vulnerable on the platform. So big thank you from me and the team for the amazing content, but let's move on. I want to know, um, I want to rewind your journey. I want to go back and, and tell me, you know, when did you discover your passion for cross-country skiing and, and, and elite sport? as a whole? Yeah. Well, I guess that's, that's actually a great question because they're kind of the same thing, but not really mm. <laughs> because I, I discovered my passion for skiing just very naturally, I would say, because my parents were really into it. So, um, we joined the Minnesota youth ski league and, you know, it, before that, even I was in their backpack when they would go skiing at a different park every weekend, they just, you know, put me in their backpack and, um, give me a box of raisins to munch on. And I was just so happy. And I just thought it was, you know, this is, of course, doesn't everyone grow up like this, you know, gliding around in a backpack in the woods <laughs> on the weekends. Like I thought it was so cool and it is cool. I was so fortunate. Um, and then with the Minnesota Youth Ski League, it was like, you know, playing tag on skis and doing scavenger hunts to find stuffed animals hidden in the trees on the trails and, you know, like, and going sledding afterwards and drinking hot chocolate. So it was just really all about the experience of loving the sport and really just loving being outside in the winter. You know, you've got kind of two camps of people who are like, oh, I love winter. It's such a different opportunity. I get to move in a different way, like skiing or snowboarding or cross country skiing where you, you know, you have, you're sliding on the snow. It's so cool. It's beautiful. You know, I can transport myself on all these amazing trails and go see a frozen waterfall and all this. And then you have people who are like, I really don't like the winter. (laughs) And I think if everyone got a chance to like find a way that they enjoy being outside in the winter, it's just so beautiful and magical. And so that's something that skiing brought to my life and I'm really grateful for it. Um, on a competitive side, you know, I, I was a kid with a ton of energy, like maybe too much energy. And so my parents were like, we gotta, we gotta put her in sports. Um, so, uh, this is, we need a way to tire her out. So I did, gymnastics for a year. I did swimming. I did track and field and wanted to try everything. You know, Mm -hmm. like I tried shot put, triple jump, hurdles, uh, pole vaulting, like all, (laughs) everything, um, was really into the relays and, uh, I played soccer and a lot of them, I wasn't, you know, I've never been like the best at the hand-eye coordination, like Mm -hmm. where you actually have to kick something or throw or catch. But I was, I found like, wow, I really like, you know, running to the soccer ball. Mm. I'm not sure really what to do when I get there, <laughs> but I, I can it. get there. Oh, maybe I'm, maybe I'm more on the endurance side of things. Huh? Yeah. And so it kind of came together that way where I just realized I really love the feeling of pushing my body, especially when it's mm. 14, mm. right? So I used to swim in high school and it was like, you know, being part of a relay was super intriguing to me. And then when I joined the cross country team, it was like, oh, you know, you're scoring points to help your team win the meet. So it's an individual sport, but not really. 
Mm. You know, like you're, you're trying to get points for your team and you're training together and you're Mm. pushing each other and encouraging each other, you know, to finish the whole interval set and really dig deep. And I thought that was so cool. And so that's kind of where my passion for it grew. And I started to realize, oh, you know, skiing's the thing that, you know, I'm, I'm best at in terms of results at least. And that's also where I just love the team culture. It's super inclusive and positive and just like really wholesome, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like all the cross country skier kids, we were all a bunch of dorks. We were getting like A's and B's in class and like all American and all this stuff. And so it was just like all these super driven, kind souls who just were really interested in seeing how far they could push themselves. And I really thought like, wow, what a cool place to be. Like, I really want to surround myself with these people. And that's kind of where it started. I love when you say you love pushing yourself. I, I, after watching probably several hours of you racing around the world over the last couple of days, you seem to be somebody that loves to dig so deep that you almost embrace the suffering to a level I haven't seen many people hit, to be honest. And I'm, I'm really curious. It's like this pushing yourself, this embracing the suffering. Where do you think this comes from? Like, do you, is there a deeper meaning to it or are you just incredibly competitive and just love to look over the edge? That's a great question because it's interesting. I'm competitive. I mean, for sure, right? You wouldn't be racing the World <laughs> Cup if you had no desire to win. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of an obvious answer. But it's interesting because I'm competitive, but not necessarily like, oh, I want to beat you. It's more like, I want to beat me from five minutes ago and me from yesterday and me from last year. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yeah. Like you'll have some athletes where you get a mass start and it's head to head and that's what pulls out their best performances. My best performances are in individual start races where I'm skiing alone Mm -hmm. with nobody around me because I'm just trying to, I'm trying to beat the course. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to beat the clock. I'm trying to beat my previous best. It's not necessarily about beating anybody else. And in fact, I'm, I, I'm quite good friends with a lot of different athletes on the world cup. I really admire them, respect them. Um, I like them a lot. And so when they have a great day, like my happiness for them, it really is genuine Mm -hmm. because also I know what it took for them to get there. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm like, Oh, I know. (laughs) And they had to suffer. Like they really, you know, they really earned this. They really worked for this. Um, And obviously the same with all my teammates, you know, like, and I'm there seeing them and training and encouraging them and pushing them. So it's more about me beating me, but I think a lot of that, like, I I wonder how much of that is genetic because my dad, um, would race a lot of citizens races. He'd do the American Berkey. He'd run grandma's marathon, Mm -hmm. um, in the twin cities marathon in Minnesota. And, you know, he, he did again, endurance sport based and sports that were, um, you know, you pushing you. Right. And I, like, it's funny because when I see pictures of him racing and pictures of me racing, we make the exact same face, like (laughs) same expression, same, like, you know, like gasping for air. And that might be the sports induced asthma that I also got from him. But, um, (laughs) like this, we look the exact same and he is the toughest person I know. Like he and my mom, they're both, and I don't mean tough, like just, plow through something 
stubbornly, you know, like they're Mm. very, very smart and they're very thoughtful, but I mean, tough, like if there's no, if you're not going to hurt yourself doing it and it's worthwhile to do it, Mm -hmm. they will see obstacles as like a challenge, you know, like I'm going to make this work. I'm going to work super hard. I'm going to be super dedicated. I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And I wonder if I got that, you know, from as a kid, like watching my dad run a marathon and, and seeing my mom like build up a business, like, wow, like this hard work thing, like this seems to be worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, there seems to be definite payouts for hard work. Um, and I think that was sort of, you know, absorbed, um, from watching my parents. And then I also wonder how much of it is just that people feel pain in different ways. You know, like if, you, me, and 10 other people all stuck our hand in a bucket of ice water for the exact same amount of time, I feel like we would feel it differently. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just making this up. But I think the way my brain processes the pain of endurance sports, I don't, like... It's it def, it's not that it doesn't hurt, but when I have a strong enough reason why mm-hmm. I'm okay with it hurting, then I I can push through some pretty crazy stuff um, to the point where like you know my vision will get tinted, it'll tint like yellow or pink, and I will go numb from the waist down. Like I can't feel my legs. I can move them, but I can't like feel them. They're like blocks and. Um, everything just feels like it's on fire, but I can keep moving, but only if I had a strong why. So if you stuck me in a treadmill lab setting and you were like, go until you collapse, I'd be like, <laughs> no, no, not do it. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> no way. Like why, yeah. you know? Yeah. But if you were like in a treadmill lab setting, go until you collapse and I'll fund the entire U S ski team development team so they can get to every camp. I'd be like, okay, I'll do it. You know what I mean? Like if you give me a strong enough why I can push through something crazy, but there has to be a reason that makes sense to me in Mm. my head, which is why relays were always the thing. Um, for years and years and years, I'd pull out my best performances of my life in a relay and I couldn't do it individually because I couldn't come up with a reason that I cared as much about my own result as when my teammates goals and dreams were on the line. Mm. And finally, through working with my sports psychologist, it was like, you're allowed to also want to win just for you. And you're allowed to, you know, decide it's okay and, and tie, you know, tie some other reasons in there too. Like, okay, if I push super, super hard and I win, and then I get invited to go on podcasts and do interviews, I get to talk about whatever I want. Mm-hmm. I get to talk about these messages that care to me. So suddenly you have all these things attaching to your why that make it stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger. And it helps you push through those moments where it would just be so much easier to back off just a little bit. And no one would know, nobody in the world would know that I've given 98% instead of 100 in the moment that it mattered. But I would know. Yeah. And I'm not cool with that. No, (laughs) no. Did you ever, have you had those? How many of those experiences have you had? Oh, I've had plenty yeah. where I haven't given a hundred percent. And you walk away going, I know. Yeah. You know. And it yeah. drives me for the next time. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it's on purpose, Yeah, you know, because to really, truly give a hundred percent is, it wrecks you. Well, there's only, I, I believe you probably only have so many in your life oh, yeah. of, of those where you, 
you peer over the edge and you take a big step anyway. It, it's kind of like a, I remember Mark Allen, who was one of the greatest triathletes of all time. And, and he said, yeah, I, I believe I had five or six of those in my life that I was allowed to have. And, and I used to think about that as an athlete myself. And, and I, if I look back at my own career, it's kind of like, yeah, it's five or six times where I like, that went above and beyond expectation. On that, you know, you, you've picked skiing as your career. What have been some of the, the ultimate highs that you've had? And that doesn't have to always be about the win, but um, any moments in your career that really stand out to you? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't say one of them was, of course, uh, winning the gold medal with Keegan in Pyeongchang. But the way you did that, the way you did that, it wasn't <laughs> like anybody listening to this podcast right now, jot down, go check out the 2018 team sprint uh, and, and watch uh, Kick and Randall and, and Jesse Diggins race that as a team. And that second leg, even yes, your sprint finish was out of this world, but you know, you go through it three times. So people that don't know you, you each person does a 1.25 K each and then tag it to the next person. They do that three times each. And the second leg, it seemed that you just, that was, I don't know what the times were like, but that seemed to me like it was outstanding. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, it's fun because I, I talk about this um, in, in detail. You know, I walk you through exactly what I'm thinking and yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the moment in my book. And um, the, you know, the first leg, I was like, this isn't, this, is, this pace isn't fast enough. And I think, you know, our best chance to get a medal is to try to blow the field apart and it's either going to work or it's going to backfire, but it ended up working. And that's where, you know, that lap decided that, you know, we were going to get a medal. Yeah. And then yeah. the last lap was just like, well, what color is it going to be? Oh, um, and then that's and so, finished. But I think, <laughs> honestly, the reason it's one of my favorites isn't because of the racing at all, although it was some of the best tactical skiing in my life, but it was that moment when I got up from the snow um, you know, Keegan had uh, tackled me and just yes. feeling her joy. You know, I was like absorbing mm. the feeling mm. that we had together and then getting up and turning around and seeing our whole team right alongside the finish boards and seeing coaches like crying, you know, like openly just sobbing because this crazy moment had finally come for us, you know, for our team, because of everyone on the team, like that was so cool, that team celebration and that just that feeling of getting to scream and celebrate <laughs> with all these super important people to me who really do feel like family. Like that was amazing. Mm. And I think one of my other favorite moments was from this past Olympics. Um, and it's one where I didn't win, but it felt like a win. Mm. Oh my gosh. And I had had food poisoning 30 hours before the start of the last race of the Olympics, like actually the last race of the Olympics. We got our medals at closing ceremonies in Beijing in 2022. And it was the women's 30 kilometer race. It was a mass start. And it was on top of the, the food poisoning having depleted me quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I had been, you know, I was lucky in that it was a pretty light case. You know, I, I definitely had worse, <laughs> um, but it also wasn't ideal. You know, instead of going and testing my skis, I was laying in bed and eating chicken noodle soup out of a can because I was like, no way am I going back to that dining hall? Like not going to do it. <laughs> this is terrifying to me now. Wow. And um, the weather was insane. You know, like the, it was so I've seen the visuals cold. of it. I don't know how you, it looked awful <laughs> for someone who loves summer and I haven't had a winter in 30 years. 
that is not something that looked attractive remotely. The weather oh, was and horrific. I love the cold too. Like <laughs> I can stand a lot of cold, but it was so cold and they actually moved the race time because of the cold oh. and the wind was, you know, it, if it wasn't windy, I think it would have been fine, but you know, you get that wind chill factor in there mm. and that is where you really feel it. Um, that's where you feel it, like basically just going right through you. And I ended up skiing basically the last maybe 20 kilometers of that race alone. Mm -hmm. And then for 17 K of those, I was cramping as well. And so I was just, I was falling apart and I somehow made it to that finish and collapsed and literally could not get back up. Um, I had to get like carried out and like my face was white. I couldn't see like it was, that was one of those races where I truly had to dig for 100%. Hmm. Um, and it really cost me, you know, the whole rest of the season, I was trying to dig myself out of an energy hole. No way. Um, so yeah. the cost of that was huge. Hmm. Um, but that feeling of like, Oh my gosh, I can do this. You know, like cramping doesn't have to necessarily be the end of this and skiing alone and making poor tactical decisions doesn't have to be the end of this. Like, that was amazing. And I think that came around to help me, um, this season, obviously winning world champs was huge, but one of the more cool emotional experiences was when we finally got to race as women, we got to race 50 kilometers on the world cup. Mm. And so a little bit of like history for, for yeah. those who don't know this. Um, so back in the day when women first were allowed to ski race on the world cup circuit, they, and I, I know this because, um, there's this incredible, awesome book called trail to gold. And it's the story of, um, all the women who have represented the United States in cross country skiing at the Olympic level. And there's not that many of us because we haven't been allowed to do it for that long. And, uh, and I got to help a little bit with this book project. It's so cool. And hearing the stories from these women, you know, what they had to do to get a place, you know, to get a bib was incredible. And the fact that, you know, they had the race organizers had an ambulance waiting at the finish line because, you know, maybe your ovaries would fall out from racing. Maybe you'd die. <laughs> Who knows really? Um, because women, you know, can't possibly survive this hard of a sport mm. was the sort of thought, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and nowadays it's like, well, there should always be a medical team just in case at any sporting event for anyone. It's not about gender. It's just about yeah. safety protocol, but it was super insulting that it, you know, it was like, well, this is for the women in case mm -hmm. they can't make it. Um, and that's, you know, that line of thinking is why women didn't get to race 50 kilometers. We were relegated to 30 kilometers instead, which is an entirely different race. I mean, it's a 20 kilometer difference. And to me, that was super upsetting because I grew up um, getting to do everything that the boys did. You know, I was one of the best athletes in the school before puberty hit. Um, I went back in elementary school. I grew up with, you know, a lot of cousins who were all around my age and all boys. And I loved, you know, we were just running around, you know, playing sports climbing trees, doing all this stuff. And it was so fun. And I felt like I'm exactly on the same playing field. And obviously I know there's, you know, differences between male and female athletes, you know, testosterone and all that. But I felt like, well, shouldn't I have the same opportunity to challenge myself? You know, that's my whole thing. Like I want to dig deep and, and see what's down there at the bottom of the well. 
And I want that same opportunity to, to grind it out for 50K, right? Like I, I'm amazed at it because, you know, in the world of triathlon, we've been from day one, Ironman, Olympics, doesn't matter. It's all the same. Right. Men and women, all the same. And I, I must admit, when I, when I was watching all these videos and I was looking at the, often the, the distances in the, the women's race would be 15K, but or no, what was it? Seven and a half K, like the team relay, the sprint team relay, and the men's was 15K. And the, there were all these different distances. And I, I was like, what? <laughs> that makes no yeah, sense why? to me. Makes zero yeah. sense. I'm really amazed that skiing is still so archaic with this stuff. Like it's still there. Right. Well, so what's super, super cool is there's been this push to have equal distance now. And so this past season was the first season ah. where we got to have equal distance on the World Cup. Great. Every race was the same. Yeah. And it was so cool. Yeah. Um, and I know, you know, there's some tweaking about to do about, okay, so we're going to keep it equal distance, but what should the distances be? You know, yeah. we want a wide variety so that different skill sets can shine. Of I course. think that's that's spot on. That's right. Um, so personally I felt so empowered and because my whole thing is that I want, I want girls to be in sport, right? I want them to feel empowered. I want them to feel challenged, motivated. I want them to learn how to, how to fail with grace. Um, I want everyone to be able to learn that because sports teaches you how to do that. It's so important, right? Um, because you need to learn how to not succeed at something, learn some lessons from it, you know, dust yourself off and get back in it. And sport teaches that so well. So I think everyone should have the opportunity to be in sport. It's so important. Um, and so for me, this season was so empowering to have equal races. And so getting to do a 50 kilometer race at the iconic Holmenkollen venue in Oslo, Norway for the first time, like that was something I had thought about for months and months and months. Like yeah. this race was maybe as important to me as world championships. It was super and emotional. And it's a big difference going like, from what, an hour 20-ish to two yeah. hours 15 kind of thing. Like it adds a lot, right? Oh yeah. yeah it's yeah. super different. And you know, it's fascinating because I don't necessarily know that, you know, having done that, I don't, and of course it was also great conditions, right? So that's something to be said about it. If you had the same conditions of super slow snow and high winds that we had, um, at the last Olympics, it would have taken quite a bit longer. Of course, of course, but you would have got through it. You would have paced yourself differently and you would have got through it. Yeah, right, exactly. But we could do it. Was yeah, of course. Point. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think it was any harder than a 30K because you had to pace it differently. Of course. It was just different. It's just pacing it. What I've loved about you, and is this all skiers or the versatility, the fact that you do every distance at the Olympics from the short team relays to the, the 30 or 50K now, what is your preference when you look at all of those? Oh, <laughs> I just do everything because I'm not... I was never a standout at one thing. So I was oh, like, really? oh, I better do it all. <laughs> I'll just be a standout at all of them then. <laughs> well, I was like, oh, I better give myself my best chance by doing all of it. Yeah. So, and also truly, I, I love all the different kinds of racing, right? Our sport is so fun in that you have, um, you have skate and classic. So two entirely different techniques. And then within the two of them, you have everything from a sprint, which might be two and a half minutes, mm. all the way up to a 50K, which might be, you know, two hours and 15 minutes. It's, 
And then you have all these things in between. And it's just, it's so fun to push yourself in different ways. Can I have the endurance, but can I also have the tactics, the speed and the power? You know, I want to have it all. Um, and I know that sounds really selfish. Like, oh, no, no, like, it's, I, it, I don't want to limit myself. You know, like I want to see how I can stretch myself in different directions. And I find that really fun. Your threshold must be off the chart. <laughs> your, your VO2 and your ability to stay at a high percentage of that VO2 must be, must be really significant. You don't have to give me all the numbers, but it, it's pretty high. Well, actually, so this is funny. I haven't tested my VO2 max in a very long time. Who but wants what to I test do it? remember <laughs> Yuck. was was going to I went to like a junior camp a long time ago and you know somebody tested my VO2 max and they were basically like, well, this is like unremarkable. Mm. And my tests weren't amazing. I wasn't the strongest. I couldn't do an amazing amount of pull-ups. It was respectable. Like I wasn't super weak, but I wasn't super strong. I didn't have an incredible VO2 max. Um, I'm not, you know, I think that's, but that's what I love about it is because I'm very, very human. I was, you know, average in these different categories. You know, I, I don't have incredibly high mm. fast twitch muscle fibers where like I'm not the fastest out of the gates in a sprint. And I'm the first to say like I've made a lot of tactical errors where I'm like, oops, you know, I really wish I could try that again in a different way. But I think that's what is so cool about this sport is you can succeed without necessarily being the best at all these things. You just mm. have to work your way up and become a little bit better every day in all these different categories. And you have all these different ways in which you can improve um, the mental side being a huge part of it. And that part you can't measure, which I think makes it really fascinating, right? Because you can be the best in the world and just give up. <laughs> I, I, I love the sports psychology. I actually, uh, I just had on the show, Dr. Simon Marshall, who's a, a world-renowned sports psychologist and uh he actually just wrote the screenplay with his wife, um, All Quiet on the Western Front. So he's moving from from being a sports psychologist in, into screenwriting. But anyway, I, I, this wow. this um, chatting with him about the the brain and the way the brain talks to itself and, and the science that's coming out of it. One part of me is like, I don't want to learn too much more about it. I kind of love that you know we all just try and figure it out as we go. But it's amazing that what's between your ears and how it connects to the diaphragm and talks to the diaphragm and how it connects to the gut and then talks to the back to the gut. And the body is talking to itself constantly and monitoring constantly both ways. And they've never realized it was both ways. You know, always go the, the brain talks to the, the you know, to the the gut or whatever, but it's like, oh no, the gut's talking to the brain and, and the heart's talking to the brain and the diaphragm's talking to the brain. And the way that we're actually corresponding between the two now that the science, what you're saying is spot on. Like we can talk about VO2 max or hematocrit or we can talk about all these individual things, but quite often it's this, what's going on between your ears and the way that it's computing with the rest of the body. Um, it's fascinating where we're, where we're going. And, and I believe that's where the big advancements are going to be in sport in the future here. It really is going to be on who can manage the brain and the way it works with the entire body. I mean, I agree. This stuff is so fascinating and you can, you can make it super technical or you can make it pretty basic. Like I remember my mom used to tell me as a kid, she'd say, you know, whether you think you can or not, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't remember who that quote is from. So yeah. sorry about that. But 
it's so true. Like if you are, if you decide you can't do something, well, then you, you probably won't. And if, you know, like nobody wins by accident, you know, mm-hmm. and, and if you decide that you can, well, then you're going to reach your full potential, whatever that is. Mm. Um, Cause you're going to allow yourself to, to deploy the resources to go for it. And I think like at the very, very basic level, like you decide if you're going to go for it or not, and you need to commit one way or the other. Um, but I, I think, yeah, the mental side of sport to me is so fascinating. And I think it's, you know, it's sort of something that I'm, it's something I'm always working on. And that's where I think some of those breakthroughs can really happen because mm. you can only keep training up to a level, right? Like there's only so much the body can take before you're risking more injury. Um, so you have to train smart, you know, you have to train hard and smart, and then you look for the ways to improve your performance that, you know, aren't going to risk your body and your long-term health. Mm-hmm. I have a quote that from Dr. Tommy Wood, who's on the show a bit, and he said, you know, what, what you think has a direct impact on your physiology. And it's exactly what your mum is saying with, with, with your quote. But I, I, I love this one because it's like if I'm thinking anything in any moment, it's actually having a, an effect on my physiology, whether it be hormones or whatever else, whatever I'm thinking in that moment. And this is the power of visualization and word affirmations and all of these things. The science is now proving this to be 100% fact, right? It's not, we used to sort of, you know, what you think, yeah, yeah. But now it's actually been proven. A mini break to remind you to go check out any question on iOS or Android, or you can go to anyquestion.com. You can actually go to anyquestion.com forward slash Jesse Diggins, and you can see over 140 of Jesse's answers already there, and you can ask her follow-up questions after this podcast. So go check it out, anyquestion.com forward slash Jesse Diggins. I want to move on and just talk about your book brave enough. I've heard numerous people say how much they've loved it. What inspired you to write it to begin with? You know what? It actually wasn't my idea. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm serious. It really wasn't. After the 2018 Olympics, like right after, I mean, like the day after closing ceremonies, Keegan and I flew to New York and we did um, a bunch of media And I was really gung-ho on using this opportunity to push for the Minneapolis World Cup to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Because I really wanted a World Cup to happen in the United States. I wanted it to happen in Minnesota. So that was basically my sole focus. But along the way, I had this meeting with an editor um, at a publishing house. And this editor was like, you know, I kind of like stumbled upon your blog And then I went down into a wormhole of your posts and I kept reading and I thought this could be an interesting book. And, um, you know, I kind of was like, I don't have, I don't have time to write a book. No one's going to want to read what I have to say. Anyways, (laughs) I don't have that remarkable of a story. And at this point I had not told anyone about my eating disorder yet. Really? I hadn't been ready to come out with it. I didn't want that to be... I guess I was, I had a lot of fear that mm. I would be known as the eating disorder girl. Right. And that right. would be the way people saw me. That'd be the way they talked about me. That would be all the questions I would be asked the entire Olympics. So I was like, I'm, I just, I'm, this is not the time for yeah. me to talk about this. 
Um, and I honestly just didn't have the courage to come out with it earlier. And I wasn't in the right place mentally either. But after that, it kind of got the wheels turning and I ended up deciding, okay, uh, if I have a co-author so that, you know, I'm not alone in this, which makes sense, right? Like I'd never written a book before. I didn't know what I was doing. You don't try to train for a sport without a coach. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, Todd Smith was just wonderful and we really connected. And, um, and so he was my co-pilot and I had done enough writing blogs, which obviously is super different than writing a book, but I had an established voice. You know, I kind of knew how to tell what I, the story that I wanted to tell. Um, and so many, 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 many hours later, um, we had this, this book manuscript and along the way I was kind of like this, this is where I do need to talk about the eating disorder because at the end of the day, when I thought about it, I was like, all right, selling the story of, you know, here's how we won the first ever gold medal for the U S that's, what's going to get somebody to buy the book maybe, but the real message that I'm interested in telling Mm. is here's what it was like to be inside the mind of someone suffering from an eating disorder. I want parents to understand. I want friends, teammates, coaches to, um, you know, here's a way to find some compassion and empathy and understanding of, of this is what it might feel like. Every eating disorder is different, of course. So, you know, one person's lived experience is probably going to be very different from someone else, but through, through understanding my experience, it might help somebody learn to recognize, huh, these are potential red flag warning signs, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. here's things that were really hard for her. You know, she really, it was really hard for Jesse to have somebody comment on her body and size and appearance. And to be honest, it's probably hard for most people. Most people don't love having a someone else make their opinion about their body known, right? Like <laughs> that's not like super helpful for most people. But um it was that's that was the driving force behind the book and what got me uh fired up enough to put in the time and the work to do it. I love um, it. So that's why I'm proud of it. Yeah. Did you find the process, you know, to be to find the courage to be vulnerable? Did you find that it came easily or did that take a little bit as well to sort of realize, hang on, I'm I'm actually saying this out loud. Did, was that was that a difficult process in itself? Yeah, that was hard. Because um, obviously my parents knew, or I guess I shouldn't say obviously, but um, in my case, mm. my parents were the ones who really walked me through treatment. And so they knew my whole story already, yeah. right? Yeah. So I, I had people who already, who already knew it and supported me and didn't look at me differently because of it. And I had um, told... Uh, well, my boyfriend at the time, um, Wade, um, before we were engaged, I had told him all about it and he was so loving and supportive and was just like, I'm so glad you shared this with me. You know, I want to be there for you. And, um, that was just so awesome. So I'd had some really positive feedback in terms of, okay, I shared the most vulnerable, like Mm -hmm. darkest part of me with someone. And they said, thanks for sharing. I love you you know, that was the response. And that was so huge for me. And so that gave me a lot of courage. Yeah. And so, um, I had to share with Todd, my co-author, all right, here's the story. And he was like, okay, I'm going to buckle up. Like I'm ready. And he also responded with such compassion and empathy and, and basically like, we got to tell all of this because people are going to need to hear even the hardest parts. And so that was, 
some encouragement that I definitely needed because I was pretty scared. But to be honest, the process of editing and writing and rewriting was, (laughs) it was like really needed Mm. because I had never, I don't know if I had truly healed from what I had been through because at the time I went to treatment at the Emily program and it saved my life. And I was so focused on saving my life that it was like, I was just like running and I couldn't look back. I was just like, I got to get through this. I got to get to a better place. I was just so focused on doing the work to get to a healthy place, which is what I needed. Um, but I never grieved for what I had been through. And I, I, um, wow, it's kind of hard to talk about. Um, but I still remember sitting at the desk in the hotel room at the Hotel Coom in Davos, where we always stay, and just like sobbing over my computer because I was reading my own words about my experience and having to go through and edit it and just like finally processing what I had been through and being like, oh my God, this was so hard on my family. This was absolute hell for me. I like really needed to actually like grieve for Mm. what I had gone through. And that process was so cathartic and it really like allowed me to have the courage to talk about it. Um, cause I had really, I had obviously faced it head on while I was going through it, but then I faced it head on and revisiting it. Um, and sometimes in really detailed ways, like, cause I wanted to make sure I got it right, you know, for the, for the book. Um, so it was like, here's, you know, <laughs> the, the exact sort of things we talked about in our group, you know, I wanted to get it as accurate as possible. And that was really, really hard, but that made me feel like, okay, I'm now I'm capable of talking about this to other people mm-hmm. um, because I've had to have the chance to heal from it myself. So um, that was really good for me. And so I think the process of writing the book, you know, the driving force was to do this so that other people could learn about it. But in return, I ended up having this unexpected gift of a lot of healing for myself, which I didn't realize that I needed and I didn't realize I was going to get. Yeah, it's another round of therapy, right? I mean, it's like to actually write it down and know that you're sharing it. So being as detailed as you were. Oh, yeah. I Yeah, it was amazing. I have a quick question I want to ask on all of this because the, the impact on the book on others, what, what's the feedback been? And have you found a lot of other athletes coming out of the woodworks and sharing their stories? Because even me as a guy and professional sport, endurance sport, for sure. This is not just for young women. It's, no. it's goes across sports and it tends to be people that are all trying to get everything they can out of themselves. And so they're looking for anything in any way they can be better, be better, be better, be better. And it's kind of like th- this process of what can I do? Have you found that feedback from other athletes coming? I really have. And I love that you said that, Greg, because it's so true. Mm. There's this um, super harmful thing about eating disorders. Well, there's, <laughs> they're super harmful in the first place, but then there's, it's harmful because there's sort of this taboo 
around talking about it. And then there's this myth that this affects skinny, white, teenage women, Mm. right? Like, but that's not true. This affects all ages, all gender expressions, all backgrounds. It doesn't matter what race you are. You know, anyone can Mm. be affected um, and severely affected by an eating disorder. And so this idea that for some reason out there, like, oh, you know, that's something that happens to, you know, wealthy teenage girls mm. <laughs> is a, a real problem um, because it prevents people from reaching out to seek care because they feel like they don't fit into this uh, box of who's allowed to have an eating disorder, right? Mm. So I think that's super important to acknowledge and to talk about. But yeah, the feedback from the book, you know, those fears I had previously mentioned, well, they weren't unfounded. I thought, I was I was just amazed at how I don't feel like I'm the eating disorder girl. <laughs> I people still treat me exactly the way they did before, mm-hmm. but if anything with more respect because of how vulnerable I made myself. You know, like I pretty much put my soul out there <laughs> and I had so much positive feedback and I I have to say it was the coolest thing hearing from like coaches who are like, all right, I coach young athletes. And this was so important for me to learn about. And now I'm going to go out and educate myself and I'm going to have resources that I can direct my athletes to. So if a problem arises, I'm going to know what the red flag signs are Mm, and I'm going to have, you know, someone I can refer them to right away. And I'm like, ah, Yes. Like this is what we need. You know, like we need coaches who are super in tune to this and aware of it um, and acknowledging that they have an amazing opportunity to redirect someone before they fully go off the rails. Right. That's the best part about the book. It's like the call to actions, right? It's like, it's, it's not just, I'm just sharing a story. It's like, no, these are the red flags and this is what you should do. Exactly. And I think having that as a guidebook for, like you said, coaches, parents, it's, it's such a great book for that alone. I mean, it's great. You've got some great stories in there and everything else. It's a, it's a phenomenal book, but that, that alone, just knowing what do you got to look for, you know, and then what actions can you take? So, you know, massive congrats on the book. Oh, thank you. And I have to say, you know, one of the biggest things about eating disorders is that they are so isolating, mm. Mm. right? And you can feel so alone and it's so hard to talk to people about it. And I just want people to know they're not alone. And the number of messages I've received from people who are like, hey, I read your book or I heard about your story and, you know, that was me. I suffered from an eating disorder too. Or, you know, um, young men who are like, hey, I just decided to go seek treatment for my eating disorder and I'm feeling inspired and ready to work on recovery. It is so cool to hear that people are finding the courage to go out there and and put their health first, because that is so hard to do, especially in the face of an eating disorder and in the face of, you know, the culture that we live in, right? In our society um, that will sometimes prioritize go, go, go above anything else. And I just have to say, people you're not alone. You're not the only person. I've heard from so many people, which on the one hand is heartbreaking that so many people have had or are experiencing currently um, eating disorders and and how, how tough that is. But at the same time, know that you're not alone. You didn't do anything wrong. 
You're not, you know, like I, I often felt like, oh my God, I'm such a freak for this and that. And no, you're not like, this is not your fault. I mean, you're not the only person who's ever gone through this and you're not the only person who will go through this and find recovery. You know, that's super possible. There's so many people who have stood exactly where you're standing right now, who are now having happy, healthy lives. And so it's so possible and we know it is because we've seen it. We've seen it happen. So I think that's... That's just something that I hope people take out of this. Jesse, well said. I do, I am conscious of your time and, and I do want to finish up with just a, a few more questions, if I may. And I've got a final four. Are you up for a couple more questions before I let you go? Absolutely. All right. <laughs> what advice would you give to your 18 year old self? Ooh, 18 was a tough one for me. Um, <laughs> You know when people are like, oh, high school is the best time of your life. Oh, nope, no, not, not, not me. me, not me. Get me out of there. Yeah. Get me out. I would say to my 18-year-old self, the biggest advice I need to give is you do not need to be perfect. And I know that right now you feel like you have mm. to be you have to be perfect in everything you do. You're just trying so hard at everything. And that's great that you want to give a full effort to things that's going to serve you well in life. But you also need to learn that People will love you even if you aren't perfect. So definitely, you know, give something your best shot, but then let it go and declare yourself satisfied with the results of your best effort, even if that isn't perfection. Great advice. I want to share something with you. It's uh, We had a neighbor of ours and um, she was telling me that women in particular tend to go for perfection you know, and, and if you actually look at a lot of women's sports, they're quite often the scoreboard sports. And men tend to just go want to be better than the other person, the other man. It's not about being perfect for men. It's about just outdoing the other man. And that's why men's sports tend to be, you know, outscoring each other and not about perfection. It was just an interesting illustration when, when you brought up perfection. It made me think about how in our culture, to some degree, in our DNA, it's almost women tend to search for perfection. It's like, no, 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 no. Do the best you can, right? Yeah. Mm. And the best you can is going to be good enough because yeah. it's your best effort. Yeah. And it's it's not fair for anyone to expect perfection of you. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't expect perfection of anyone else. So why do you expect perfection yeah, out of yourself? I love that. Right? Great answer. Yeah. Okay. Which three people, non, non-family, living or dead, would you want to have dinner with? Oh, that's <laughs> interesting. This is always a fun one, by the way. If you're at a dinner party and it gets a bit quiet, throw this one in. Oh, man. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes. Well done. Yep. Uh, Michelle Obama. Mm. I loved her book. And I feel like it'd be really interesting to have a historical figure in there. Abraham Lincoln. Be interesting to hear some perspectives. Nice. That time period. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. All right. Where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, well. You're 31, right? You're 31? Yeah, I'm 31. You'll still be very young. I see so much to do. I see myself, um, whether or not I'm racing, I'm definitely giving back a lot and involved quite a lot with cross country skiing. Um, I'm really happy in my marriage with Wade. Maybe we have a dog at that point, a really cute little fluffy thing. I don't know. That can also run on trails. 
and I'm still working uh, and super involved with the Emily program and their mission and share winter and protect mm-hmm. our winners. So I see myself still just really getting after the work with all those organizations. And last one here, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Ooh. Or maybe your mum's quote the other. Was it? That was a. You, I was going to say, yeah, maybe we've already talked You've already about covered it. Like, it. You've already covered it. Whether you think you can or not, you're right. Yes. That's, that's pretty good. I think that's pretty outstanding advice. Well done, mum. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, <laughs> are you up for finishing? And these are rapid fire questions, like super quick. Oh, okay. Yeah. People, oh, some of them will stump you. And if they do, you can say pass. But. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> one book you'd recommend. Oh, Lauren Fleshman's new book, Good for a Girl. Uh, two most used apps on your phone. Instagram and Google Calendar. <laughs> I love it. I'm serious. <laughs> That's great. I love it. It's so true, isn't it? All right. Uh, the toughest race you've ever done. Oh, the 30K yeah. in Beijing. Yeah. 2022, we we covered sure. that. Doing that with no fueling at all. Brutal. All right. This one's really important and I've already got a number for you. Out of 10, how cool are you? Oh man, I'm like a four. I'm not super cool. Please. Oh my gosh. If you're not cool, where does that put the rest of us? My goodness. Well, there'll be no photographic evidence given to this podcast of what I was like in high school and junior high. But (laughs) But what have you become? (laughs) That makes it even cooler. Don't you see? Uh, Uh, I love that. I mean, it's a silly question, obviously, but it is a fun one. All right. Who would you want to play a movie of your life? Oh, like to play me? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Come on. Um, maybe like Reese Witherspoon. Nice. Yeah. I could see that. You just crushed that. <laughs> you, you had that loaded. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking, I was like, who's like s- somewhat like similar height and like, I don't know. Yeah, no, I get a big smile. <laughs> I don't know that many names. I love it. That's fantastic. Which decade of music is the best? I'm a real sucker in the gym for 2000s pop. 2000s pop. I love it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Favorite race you've ever done? I might say right now, maybe just because it's recency bias, but the 50 kilometers at Home and Colon, especially yeah. because my parents were there. Oh, I love that. And it was historic. I love, by the way, you've mentioned your parents throughout this episode and your team and you're very conscious about your team and your family and uh, it's, it's truly inspiring. It's, it's fantastic. Um, where is somewhere you haven't been you'd like to go? Oh, um, I really want to go to Argentina. Mm. Yeah, I just I, we went down to South America some years ago. We went to Peru and did the hike yeah. um, to Machu Picchu and it was like maybe the coolest trip of our lives. It was incredible. And I'm just thinking like, there's so many other places in South America (laughs) that we just haven't even- You've only scratched the surface. surface. We got to get back there. Isn't it funny? The more you travel, the more you realize you haven't been anywhere. Exactly. It's the most bizarre thing. Mm -hmm. I just, I loved it down there. I just absolutely fell in love with the mountains there. So um, that would be a cool trip. That would be cool. Okay, last one. Greatest movie of all time. Ooh, uh, Miracle on Ice. 
Nice. <laughs> I love cheesy sports movies. Uh, we all do. We all do. Well, Jesse, this has been absolutely wonderful. What's next for you? you you're heading up to Bend, you said. How, how long until that happens? Yeah, camp starts May 6th. So yeah. um, I'm traveling a bit for some speaking events, going to go see my family in Minnesota um, for a little bit. And yeah, just excited to uh, go see a bunch of cool people. Well, I'm a huge fan. I was a fan before we had this conversation. I'm a bigger fan now that everything you're doing, honestly, from your conservation, your book, the way you're trying to help people with, with eating disorders, your obviously you're racing you're such an inspiration there just to watch but i truly appreciate you coming on and spending a good chunk of your day chatting with me i, I really appreciate you thank you for having me it's it's an it truly is an honor to be on here and yeah it's fun to get to talk about all these all these things and thank you you had some great questions oh, i really appreciate it thanks thanks jesse and and for everybody listening you can go uh, ask follow-up questions to jesse at anyquestion.com forward slash jesse diggins And you can also find all the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.